You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, Christmas has been and gone, and I hope you've had plenty, but not too much, turkey, ham, and stuffing, and been able to put your feet up and enjoy some well-earned downtime. We're nearly done with 2020 and can put it all behind us. But before we do, for this week's episode, I want to do another of my life lessons interviews, and this time I'm joined by one of Ireland's best-loved broadcasters, someone who has, it seems, been on our screens and airwaves for as long as I can remember. I remember when I was a child watching him on the den with Zig and Zag and Dustin, and he's gone from there to Today FM and back to RT on radio and TV on Saturday night, and with a relaunch then as well. Ray Darcy, I'm really looking forward to this one. Welcome to Real Health. Carl, thank you very much. This is a role reversal thing. I'm usually asking you the questions, <laughs> so it's probably a bit weird for both of us. It's a bit quirky. I'm slightly nervous, but however, um, I actually heard. I was listening to your show today, and I heard something which I thought I which I never knew about you. And I'm going to start there. Uh, the FCA. <laughs> you were chatting to a girl to doing a quiz earlier on, and you said to her, "I used to be in the FCA, and I did the the, the nighttime watch or whatever." She was just going on to. Let's start there. I, well, well, um, I never knew you were in the FCA. Did you not? Right. Well, I, I'm from Kildare Town. My dad was in the army. Um, uh, he was a quartermaster. And the quartermaster was the person with the most influence in the army, despite he would be a, a lower rank than captains and commandants and generals and all that sort of thing. And the reason he had so much influence was because he was the man who gave out the boots and the uniforms and the shirts and ties and the combats. So, you know, if he ever wanted anything done, you know, somebody would sidle up to him and say, Ray, have you got another beret? Because he was called Ray as well. Anyway, a big thing in Kildare Town uh, was the FCA. It's called the LDF now, the Local Defence Forces. And I'm sure I can say this now because it's 40 years on or more than 40 years on. But it was common practice, and I'm not saying that I did it, but it was common practice to change your baptismal cert. (laughs) Because you had to be 17 to get in. And of course, everybody knows that it's illegal to tamper with your birth cert. <laughs> so we all paraded up to the local parochial house and got our baptismal certs. And then there were these pencil rubber type things at the, at the they were halfway between an eraser and Tipex. And you were able to, and then you'd change, say my birth date is 64. So you change the four to a one. Uh, and suddenly instead of being, you know, 14, you were 17 and you were old enough to be in the FCA. So that's, that's how it went. And it was, at the time, like it was actually very, uh, like it was it was a good thing to be doing money wise because you'd have um, you'd have a winter camp, you'd have an Easter camp, and then you'd have you could up, get up to six weeks during the summer, and then you'd have those twenty four hour guards you, you were talking about there, and you get you know thirty quid or whatever for them. So I, like there was myself, my brother Joe, who's the oldest in the family, and Hugh, who's one year below me. We were all in the FCA, and there's a famous picture of us in the back garden all in our uniforms in our green coats or long coats and we all have our hand in you know like Napoleon so it's the three Napoleons is the caption that my mother has in the family photo album but it was yeah it was it was great crack and I, like I rocketed up the uh, the, the ranks like <laughs> I was I was a sergeant in the FCA believe it or not I don't think I was old enough to be in it I think I was still sort of <laughs> a few weeks shy of 17 and I was a sergeant so I like I was in charge like we shot everything like we we fired machine guns we fired uh, 303s, FNs, um, anti-tank weapons, 25-pounders, like mad stuff, mad stuff. Great crack, though. 
And how does one go from that then to DJing, to radio uh, and, and getting into that line of work? Or and was the FCA RBY something that you wanted to get into as a career? Not really. No, I, I suppose I tried my hand at everything. Like, and it was the same in sports. Like I tried everything. I did, like I did everything from badminton, gymnastics, Gaelic football, hurling, rugby, yeah, squash. I tried my hand at everything. And similarly, if there was any work going anywhere, uh, I'd put my hand up for it. So like, for example, I helped, I, like at nine, I had a paper round. Then I worked in a local grocery. I worked in a local drapery, delivered milk, you know, uh, FCA. Then DJing was sort of a, just another job along the way. But um, funnily enough, when I started DJing then, I was 15, started doing 21st. The very first um, disco I did was, uh, my brother was in UCD and he shared a house on uh, lower Kilmacud Road, about like a mile from where I live now. And he told the rest of them that his little brother was a DJ, which was a particularly, was a lie at the time because I had the gear, but I'd never DJed in my life. So he had said that he was doing loads of discos around Kildare. So I arrived up with the gear and uh, it was very rudimentary gear now. Uh, like there was no, anyway, it's, it's a long story, but very rudimentary gear. And I did the disco. And uh, anyway, that particular night, there was a girl there and she started giving me the eye. I was 15, you know, and all these people were, you know, late teens, 20s. They were in UCD. Anyway, so I, like, I, I was every, you know, every time I looked up from the decks, she was there. It was in a sitting room, like in a, in a semi-D on Kilmacud Road. Uh, and then she asked me to dance. And I said, I don't know if I can. I'm working, you know. <laughs> and then my brother spotted this going on and he had a few jars in him and he got completely jealous. So so I was slow dancing with her anyway. I'd, you know, go over and change the record, put another slow dance on, go back and start <laughs> dancing with her. And then he got up a bit, a bit sort of, a bit drunk. And he said, if you don't let me dance with her, I'm going to tell her you're only 15. <laughs> so, anyway, so I think I walked her home that night and uh, I thought, oh yeah, this DJ is good, good crack, good crack. So that's where it all started. 1979. Jeannie Mackers, 1979. Yeah. Do you remember the first song you played? I don't actually. I don't. I remember the first song I played on uh, Today FM. Uh, it was The Best Things in Life Are Free by Luther Vandross and Janet Jackson. Um, yeah. And I remember the first time wow. I played when I came back to, to RTE, which was Nina Simone, um, somebody to, is it Somebody to Love? It's the BG song, her version of the BG song. So I do, I do remember those, but I, no, I don't remember the first song I played at the disco. So you went, you studied psychology in Trinity. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, you see, I, I was in hospital when I was 10 and I wasn't sick. Um, it was 1974. I had a bit of a rash, uh, which wouldn't go away. And the, the, the local doctor sent me for a referral to a dermatologist and he brought me into Vincent's. Now, Vincent's was a brand new hospital at the time. It was, you know, pristine clean. Um, and, and I was a 10-year-old and I wasn't supposed to be there really because I should have been in Temple Street or Crumlin, but because I wasn't that sick, they put me in this hospital. So it was a, a, a pristine clean hospital full of adults and I was a novelty. Uh, and not only for the other patients, but for the nurses. So, I, and, and then the doctor who was supposed to be looking after me went on holidays for two weeks. So I ended up in there for three and a half weeks. Ridiculous. Like I wasn't even, didn't even have the rash because as it turns out, the rash was from the sun. So it was in the middle of November and I was there for three and a half weeks. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I sort of fell in love with the whole medicine thing and I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, it stayed like that really up until uh, I got the, the offer from, you know, the CEO offer. And I was one point short, I think, of medicine. At the time, there was no tradition of uh, repeating in our school. So um, I think second was um, communications in uh, what was then um, NIHE. And uh, then psychology was number three or number four in Trinity. And that was because my um, my aunt was a psychologist and uh, we did 
a vice principal who said to me one day, you know, Mr. Darcy, you have a great understanding of the human condition. Did you ever consider doing psychology? <laughs> so uh, little did he know he was going to have so much influence over my life. Well, maybe not. So that's how I ended up with psychology. Okay. And then how did, so psychology into media and into presenting, what was the big moment or was there a big, a particular? It wasn't, it wasn't sort of like that. It was in parallel. I was, you know, at 15, um, when I was doing the local discos and all that, uh, I, I worked on local radio stations, you know, pirate radio stations, like everything from Radio Winter Kildara, which was in Nace, to WKRC, which was in Newbridge. KLB was in Newbridge as well. So, I, I you know, I, I, I sort of caught the bug when it came to radio. Um, and at some stage along there, maybe when I was in college, I said to myself that if I didn't get some sort of a career in the media by the age of 30, that I would, you know, concentrate on what I was doing. So I worked in what, what I suppose what you call youth training for a few years uh, in Anko, which is the which was the predecessor of FOSS. Um, so I, I was worked on what they, call, they used to call them community response programs. So they were where they took people from the Leaving Cert and they, as well as doing life skills training with them, we also did a project in the locality, like um, like in one of them we indexed parish registers. Another one we did, we we published a a local business sort of uh, directory. So I did that for a few years and still doing the DJing around the place um, and applying for various things, sending in demos to you know. 2FM and Energy in Dublin, no success. And then um, then Joe Maxi came along and it was the first time that RT asked uh, people to send in videos because before that, nobody would have had a video camera, but there was a few of them around. So you had to send in a video, five minute video of yourself with your CV. And uh, so you could hire video cameras from the local extravision or video shop and I brought it home set it up at home and it didn't work so I thought ah, that's it it's not meant to be and then I, my mother or my girlfriend's mother I can't remember which said ah you should go for it you should go for it so there's a local guy named Dominic Heavey he was in the Red Cross he's a paramedic in America now and then outside of the the video shop he was the only guy who had a video camera at the time remember it was 1988 1988 so I got him into the local daycare centre and we 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 shot something off and, and send it up to RTE. And at the time then, with the CV, I thought to myself, like everyone's going to be doing weird and wacky and zany things with their CVs because it's young people. So I said, I better do something. So instead of putting it on A4, I put it on double size, you know, A3. Uh, and then it was one page and then I highlighted the, you know, the, you know, the headings, you know, primary school, you know, a lot of photos, not much else, blah, blah, blah. And then I, instead of folding it up nicely, I sort of crumpled it up a little bit, sort of irregularly folded it, right? So expecting that everybody would be doing something like this. So when I arrived up, when I eventually got the interview, I arrived up at, into this room where I was confronted by three or four people, producers from RTE, and they had a stack of all these perfectly bound CVs. And there was mine sticking out, corners everywhere, and highlighted bits. And all right, so that probably worked. So there you go. So I got Joe Maxi then. And that, that was a brilliant, um, uh, it was a brilliant uh, foundation. It, it was better than doing any um, communications course because you got to do every aspect of television. And at the time, they were still editing on film, believe it or not. They're still editing on 16 mil film. Um, so I got in, there was a guy called Maliki, a brilliant film editor in RT. I, I got to sit with him. Uh, we did studio things with with, with Audio Q. We did uh, reports. You know, you got to interview, you know, half celebrities. You remember we like we had Jack Charlton in at the time. That was big news. 
we, we went to London and we interviewed a, a, a girl band. They were sort of a pop, uh, sorry, a punk pop band. They were called uh, We've Got a Fuzzbox and We're Going to Use It. Now, <laughs> so I, I was in Hyde Park or something running around uh, interviewing them. But anyway, what I'm saying, over two years and because it was five days a week, it was a great, just it was it was like a it was, it was like a condensed training course in television. Uh, and if you cared to learn, you could learn anything because it was all there to learn. And do you have a preference now for one or the other? So there's TV, you know, TV or radio or, or I, you love both? I, I actually love both. There was a time there that I, if you had asked me that, I would have said radio without without a hesitation. But now I've um, I, I've just I've grown to I've grown to love TV as well. Um, yeah, so they're they're obviously very different, as you know, uh, uh, but they're they're. They both have different things that are that are very attractive. Like live television, there's something about live television. I've never done drugs, uh, but I would imagine doing live television is akin to doing some sort of drug. I don't know what it is. It's probably the drug of television um, because there's something just like it does weird things to you. Uh, like it expands time and it contracts time mm-hmm. and it you know increases your heart rate, obviously. Um, and you find yourself oddly you know, nearly performing out of your skin. It's it's because you're you're in a heightened sense of awareness. Now you couldn't maintain that on radio five days a week because you'd be in an early grave. But uh, when it's once a week on television, you can you can probably manage it. And how do you? I ask anyone this who works in the public eye. How do you handle the pressure of it? Whether it's a band or a presenter, or I'm always intrigued by people's processes. So you know, and the, the answers are always very varied. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I suppose, I don't know, like Ireland's a very small country, it's a tiny country, oh, yeah. and like like really you could count on one hand the people who are true like celebrities, you know, the rest, the rest of us, I, I, I've a, like my favourite description is half well known, so I'd say I'm half well known. Now, and, and the brilliant thing about Ireland is that being half well known uh, opens up so many doors to you, and I don't mean clueing queuing for a nightclub of a Friday night. I mean, just you, you could find yourself in anywhere in the country and people will have a chat with you and they'll have a, they'll have an intimate chat with you and they'll share their intimate details. And that's, that's a great, for want of a better word, fr- privilege. It's great like to, to have that. Um, so I like, and, and I'm not I, we, like, we don't go out much. Jenny and I don't go out much. Uh, we keep to ourselves. It's, it's, it's never been much of a problem. Like the only, the only thing that gets you is that you know the odd time you're going to get it in the neck. That's that's inevitable, you know. When you when you do something like I do, uh, you're going to get it in the neck, and more so now with social media. But you have to take that. You have to take the good with the bad uh, and move on and be sort of philosophical about it. And and do you think that's down to I suppose experience in terms of you know you've done you've had a, a big career that you can step back and be slightly philosophical if someone gets a, if it's a bad review or or you have a bad day or whatever yeah I suppose yeah and and then you you're getting older as well um, uh, you're more comfortable in your skin um, and you don't take things as seriously as you used to. You still work as hard and you still pay attention to the fine detail and all those things that are hugely important in, in the job. But you, you just, re- you take it for what it is. You know, it's like I sent a text during the week to somebody and uh, it's it's words that I've often put in text. It's only telly, you know, and that doesn't, <laughs> th- that doesn't take from the amount of effort that people put into it. Uh, it it's just, but it is, it's, 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 it's only telly. And 
you can say that somebody who's 25 um, and they'll nod, but it doesn't sink in. But when you get a bit older, you go, oh, yeah, you're right. And things that were said to you by older people as a younger man, you now go, oh, now I see it. Now I see it. It's a it's a common thread all the way through episodes like this that we do. It's something like, you know, not to over worry and to worry less. And it's always the people who have that experience to look back and they can now say it. And people who listen in often think, how do, how do you worry less? But it's actually, it's a very common thread all the way through in terms of, in terms of well-being. Yeah. Um, in terms of telly, we can't not chat. And I personally couldn't uh, have this interview without discussing the den. I'm just <laughs> dying to know. How do you do it? <laughs> How do you handle yeah, it? It's actually, it's, I, it's very easy. Uh, like it's, um, like I remember doing the den like in the nineties and I did it for eight years. And I remember thinking to myself and saying to people I knew and loved that this is a very special time. This will never be repeated. Uh, w- with the view that I wouldn't be too disappointed when I couldn't repeat it. You know, because if, if, if you realize you're in something and it's very special, then you're not, you're not chasing it then. That's, you know, so that was, I was saying that and it was very special. And I remember as well saying, and people would say to you that it's, it's, it's like radio and television, which it is because there's no, there's no, there's one camera. You don't have to worry about angle shots or uh, camera angles or anything like that. You just do it. Like, it's like, you know, um, and we were in the, we were in this tiniest of, of studios. There was no cameraman even. Uh, everybody else was outside. And a measure of how relaxed I used to feel and still feel on the den is, the odd time that you'd have to dress up as a woman, for example, or something like that for a sketch we'd be doing, I had to get from the basement where the costume department is in RT up to the first floor uh, on the other side of the building, right? So I had to go from there up to there. Now, that involved a number of stairwells and a number of corridors. And I had to plot how I would get from there up to there without, without being seen. Now, I was going to go on national television when I got there. <laughs> but I was so self-conscious about get, getting there and being seen by people. But then when I got into the environment of the den, it's like a different world because it's 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 so relaxed. And like I know Zig and Zag and Dustin so well. And it 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 it, it was born out this time around, it was born out of the lockdown because it, it just felt like the perfect thing to do. We did our, our RT does comic relief and uh, it was like we were never away. Uh, and then Increasingly, as you looked around, you know, programs can't have audiences. Um, you know, people needed a bit of, bit of a laugh, a bit of silliness. And when you go through the list, the den sort of fulfills all those functions because we are our own audience. Like, well, I'm the main audience. I just laugh. Uh, but uh, so it's it, and it's it's but the, 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 the sort of strange thing is that we used to do it five days a week, three hours a day. So all of the things were spread over and you had 25 minutes of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Animaniacs or Pinky in the Brain or whatever. But now we're doing it in a condensed hour. So like the first time, the first evening, I was just like, woo! It was, it was, because it's, it's, it is very intense. It's very intense and it's very manic. And there's no downtime. There's no, like, apart from the two ad breaks, there's no time to go to check where you are and somebody to come over and say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. There's none of that. And there's no audio cue. It's just... Now, as you as you can see, there's no script, obviously, <laughs> if you've watched it closely. But uh, still, we have to get from A to B. It's been incredible. Like I've I've watched, I think, all of them that uh, that have come on the last couple of weeks, and I've been transported back to my childhood every single time. So much so that I rang my mom after one of them, and I was like, 
have you ever seen those zig and zag teddy bears that we used to have as a kid? Like, we think they're in the attic. I'm actually going to go up in the attic and yeah. check. Because I have a zig and zag book over here that I read to my son uh, right. every now and again, which sure. is back, must be 1993 or 94 yeah. or something like that when I was there. Like, it's, in, it's, it's been an incredible success. Um, do you get embarrassed at all by some of the stuff they come out with, with some of the guests? Like, Andrea Cor was on, and obviously, the, uh, with the One Direction fans, uh, with Niall Horan and all of that. Do you ever get embarrassed or do you just, you just go with it? Yeah, no, like, I suppose part of my job is to be, you know, the parent, the responsible adult in the room. Uh, but <laughs> so I have to say, you can't say that. And I do mean it when I say you can't say that. But the more you say, that to Dustin, the more likely he is to say the thing you don't want him to say, you know. So uh, sometimes you're better off not stopping him and just let him. He'll get bored, and move on. Uh, and he's he's a thing for Claire Bird at the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, look, I've asked him on a number of occasions, and I think he 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 says it with more gusto or sings it with more gusto every time because I've asked him not to do it. Which there you go. So she's done. The, she's done the correct thing and, and stayed silent. Anyway, she hasn't come out publicly fighting it. Ah, no, no, she's she's do. been very good about it. You know, she's been very good about <laughs> it. She sent me an email, so she's very good about it. You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. So I want to ch- take this um, now towards health, and I know you and I have come across, you know, at, uh, at several events. Um, the last one that I can remember was you did a half marathon in the Phoenix Park, and you had thousands of people at it. Mm. So let's chat movement. Let's chat running, health. A, what it does for you, and B, how you got into it, or were you always have you always stayed fit? Uh, no, no. Like as I said earlier on, uh, when it came to sport, I did everything. Uh, so. Uh, I'm just trying to think. My first memory of sport was probably as a six-year-old doing gymnastics. So my aunt, um, Ruth, she got involved in a local gymnastics club and she had no children of her own. So she came and borrowed two of my dad's, her brother. So Q, who's a year younger than me, and me, we were dragged off down to the local gym club. And there was a, a De La Salle brother, Brother Mark, and he was the he was the teacher there. Little did I know, and maybe it wasn't like this, but this is the way it has panned out, uh, that we were sort of um, been used because my Aunt Ruth must have fancied Brother Mark. <laughs> and as it happens, they're married with three kids now, three adult children. So there, he left He left the Delisella brothers and got married to Ruth. So he's now my uncle, Nicky, as opposed to Brother Mark. But yeah, so that, that my first memory, my first memory was gymnastics. Uh, and then just everything like uh, rugby, started playing rugby about the age of 11, played soccer, uh, did all the Gaelic stuff. Um, and didn't think too much about it. Like you don't think too much about it then. Uh, then at 17, I had to make choices about which sport you'd concentrate on. And uh, rugby is the one that you least that you need least talent for. So I, I wasn't very talented, but I was determined. So I reckon that rugby, yes, with determination and a modicum of talent, you can get a long way. So I concentrate on rugby then. And that's what I played up until 29 or 30. Um, wow. OK. What, what, what position? Uh, first centre. First center. Um, yeah. Okay. You. Th- I, I was a loose. I was a loose head props. You had a lot more skill than I did. Well, I don't sure. know if I did. I don't know if I did. But, um, <laughs> tackling was my main. My main skill. Uh, th- th- that was funny because I was uh, when I was about um, eleven or th- was it? I was, I was about no, maybe I was thirteen, and I went down to see the under fifteens play, or it could have been eleven. I went down to see the under thirteens play. Anyway, I was I was younger than this crowd. I arrived down on a Saturday, and they were one man short. So they said, "Ah, oh, Darcy, you'll go on the wing." thinking there'd be nothing for me to do. So 
it was going, I thought it was going really well, you know, and I was tackling, blah, 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 blah. But at halftime, the referee called me over and he says, listen, um, you'll have to make some attempt to tackle them. You can't just lie down in front of them and let them trip over you. So that's, so that's, that's what I was doing. I was lying down in front of guys, there's big guys tripping over me, but uh, it sort of worked. worked. Um, yeah. And as, you, as, as your career has gone on, you've, you've got fitter I think would be my own observation yeah well, uh, you're very fit you run really well yeah I st- well I, I stopped um playing rugby when I was getting personal um because I was on the den and lads were going tell zig and zag about that and uh <laughs> kids were chanting <laughs> kids from the other team were chanting on the sideline <laughs> get Ray get Ray but that, that's, that's the honest that guy <laughs> so stood my hand one day and go tell zig and zag about that so uh I stopped playing rugby and then in my 30s I sort of didn't do much in my 30s bit of five aside football uh, and I was on the den. I didn't do much. And then um, what happened was I was doing a bit of cycling, maybe. And then as I approached 40, um, I'd, I'd attempted to learn how to swim a couple of times and uh, life took this. life took over. Uh, and then in a sort of a sort of moment of madness, uh, the day after the um, the day after the marathon, that particular year was October. Uh, and I just went on air and I said, I'm going to learn to swim going to learn to swim and I'm going to do a triathlon by next year because I'm going to be 40. So I'm going to do a triathlon before I'm 40. <laughs> so I, I set myself a sort of, I thought it was achievable and it obviously was because I did it, but it was tough, tough going. So from October, that would have been the end of October. So it would have been November, no, so, so two, November, December, and then nine months. So what's that? 11 months. Uh, I'd give myself to learn how to swim, not just learn how to swim, but learn how to swim a mile. Anyway, the knock-on effect was that I started running because you have to do the 10K at the end of the triathlon. Uh, and uh, I, I just I just fell in love with it. I, I never saw the, the 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 attraction in running. I thought it was boring. You didn't cover enough ground. Um, I just never got it. Uh, and then I just it just clicked then. Uh, so I've been running ever since. So that was, what, 16 years ago, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, so that's it. And you mentioned marathon running there, and that's kind of forming a big part of the the next project that you're involved in for next year. Well, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. You know, it's not because, like, I would have. So what what happened there was, and it, I'm, I'm sure it happens with loads of people. You start running and you go, oh, five k. Oh, yeah, I can do more than that. Then you do eight. Then you do ten k, and you're suddenly you're, you know, in the Phoenix Park or someplace, and you're doing ten k, and then you go, what's the next one? Oh, yeah, right. Half marathon. I'd never be able to do a half marathon. And then before you know it, you're doing a half marathon. Jesus, right. So a marathon is just twice that. I could try it. I could try it. I could try it. Um, and then, then you're you're doing a marathon. There's no it's no big plan or anything. You just sort of stumble into it. Each well, that's what happened with me, and I think it happens with a lot of people. Um, and and so I, I did three marathons, and uh, then I decided at the last one that I just wouldn't do them anymore because they were. Uh, I I wanted to continue running, you see, and I didn't want to injure myself doing a marathon or do something that would prevent me from running. So, uh, like, I remember going into my, because uh, when you do marathons, you you're usually end up with a physiotherapist at some stage. I remember <laughs> saying to her at one stage, you know, I'd love to be running when I'm 60. And she laughed at me, <laughs> you know, because not a lot of people can, you know, keep running into their 60s. A lot of people do, but not a lot, most people don't. Um, so I'm, I'm 56 now uh, and I'm still running. Um, so fingers crossed. You never know, though, with injuries. But anyway, so. You mentioned that thing, which is probably one of the most special days uh, in my life. And that was the half million, half marathon. Um, that was an amazing day. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it, it was just, 
like all the stars were aligned and the gods were shining on us and the sun was shining on us and it was just for such an amazing cause. Uh, and we had 2,000 people there. Uh, and the brilliant thing about that was it was before the real surge in running in Ireland. And mm-hmm. most of those people were running a half marathon for the first time. So you have that energy, that nervous energy and that sense of community that was there. And then you had Jane McKenna who uh, herself and Brendan set up uh, Laura Lynn and she spoke before the race. Um, and then it was it was near perfect conditions, maybe slightly warm, too warm. Uh, and the people in, in in Phoenix Park were were lovely, and it was just just one of those moments. And uh, and we raised like I think in the end it was over six hundred thousand for Laura Lynn. And uh, since then, you know things have changed for me. I left Today FM, different situation in RTE, you know all of those things. And all through that, anybody I met who did that, like yourself, said it was a particularly special day for them. And it, you know. You can't argue with all the people I've met because the people would go out of their way to come over and say, hey, I did that. Right. But, so I, I'm constantly thinking, is there any way we can do something that's similar to that? Blah, blah, blah. And so I was, I, was, I run around UCD every morning and I, I, I can see them in my head now. There's about, you know, five or six, maybe seven uh, people that I see every morning, you know, every morning. And I thought to myself, if I seen them just in one, this little one corner of Dublin, well, that must be a similar situation in parks and running places all over the country that people are running every day and they're probably doing 5Ks or whatever. And then I did, the, I touched it in my head and I said, oh, gee, yeah, I suppose I do sort of a marathon a week. Um, and so I th- just there then, like I, I, I finished up, uh, had a shower, came in here and immediately rang um, Sarah in Laurel and I said, this is, could be September. I have an idea for you. This is it. It's it's it does exactly what it says on the tin. People are deprived of organised challenges at the moment because of COVID. Uh, a marathon a week for a year. Uh, it sounds brilliant, but it's very achievable. And I sort of then explained what it was. Blah blah. blah. Left it with them and thought no more of it. Uh, then, uh, so they were obviously working away. And then uh, sometime in late October, maybe early November, they said, "Yeah, we we that's we think we'll do that. We still offer it." Um, and so we're we're here now. We're we're doing it. Uh, Raise marathon challenge, and you you can break it down, Carl. You know yourself. It's 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 very doable. So you you like I do four and a half miles six days a week, um, and that suits me. It's just the it's just the right distance. Some people might prefer to do a ten mile at the weekend, and you know shorten the runs during the week or whatever. You could do you could spread it over seven days, and that's less than four miles. Um, a bit more. It's probably six k less than 6K because it's 40 kilometers. Um, so it's very doable and it's a brilliant cause. It's a brilliant cause. I just did the maths, just especially for you, Carl, did the maths. Uh, so we're looking to get, we're looking to get a thousand people, right, to do it. And we're hoping that each of them will raise 500 euro across a year, which isn't a big ask. So if you were getting, no. if, you, if you would go around your mates and your family and you're saying, I, I did the 26 miles this week, give us a tenner. You know, if you do that every week, you have 500 quid, 520 quid at the end of the year. So that, so that's half a million. So we're at the, that magic number again, half a million. That's that's great. But if we get a thousand people and they all do a marathon a week for a year, have you any idea the mileage that will be covered? Oh, uh, well, a marathon a week for the year. There's 52 weeks, 42K. Oh, no, go on. Give it to okay, me. Miles, okay. <laughs> 1,362,400 miles. Right. That's 24 times around the earth. That's nearly six times. No, it's three times to the moon and back. 
that's the type of mileage you'd be doing as a group of people. And that's the brilliant thing about it. It's a group of people. Because I remember the, the, the T-shirt for the half million half marathon. It was, I did a half marathon. We raised half a million. You know, so yeah, I have it. I have. I have it upstairs. There there I actually should have worn it. I should have worn it for the session. I didn't think about there that. There you go. Look at those for t-shirts. Hey, there there are nice. Look at this. Look at this. There you go. It's a nice t-shirt. Oh, I like that one. Nice t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a nice the, t-shirt. The, the yeah. Pink and the white and the blue. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice t-shirt. They're the colors of Laura Lynn. But and of course, of course, for this challenge, people can they can run, they can walk, walk it, it yeah. they can do a little bit of both if they yes, want. Yeah. If, any fitness level can take part. Any yeah. age can take part. Where can people register and find find out more about it's it? It's raisemarathonchallenge.ie. Can't be easier than that. Raisemarathonchallenge.ie. And everybody be encouraged to go onto Strava. We're going to, you know, Jenny and I. Jenny's doing it as well, which is brilliant. Uh, we're going to do the odd podcast, maybe interview people like yourself um, and just give yeah. people encouragement. Um, and you never know, that, like they're saying now that the vaccine probably won't be to everybody till late in the year, maybe you know after the summer. So we're probably not looking at organized events for most of next year, but maybe, maybe near the end of the year, we could all get together and do a run. You know, that might be, that might be on the cards as well. Oh, you're uh, teeing that up very nicely. I like that. And of course, a fa- a fa- think about it, a thousand people from across the nation yeah. is not an insurmountable amount of people you no, think, in terms not. of the breakdown of how many people you need to get signed up. So folks, if you're listening in, it is New Year's Eve. You've had a really busy uh, Christmas, I'm sure. You've had a crazy year. Why not register for something like this? It's the perfect challenge for all fitness levels, for all age groups. Anyone can get involved with an amazing community building around it from what Ray is telling us. It's a perfect thing to get involved in. It's raysmarathonchallenge.ie is the website. And do have a look at my own social media. I'll put some stuff up when the podcast goes out for links and uh, and, and uh, swipe up links to uh, raysmarathonchallenge.ie. Carl, tell them how good the t-shirt is. Like, it's, you know, it's worth the t-shirt. Uh, they're they're going to see it. Don't worry. You, yeah, you, you, on, my, on my Instagram TV, you will see Ray's t-shirt we'll make a special uh, clip of Ray doing the 360 on the t-shirt and don't you worry we'll get we'll get him to model it for us Ray final question um 2021 what's it going to bring what's the bar of this big challenge on a personal level have you anything anything in terms of targets resolutions resolutions is a funny word but in terms of yeah. I suppose targets is a little bit better I, I I don't do resolutions I don't do resolutions um yeah I uh like the thing that I've been saying for the last few years that I really want to do is to get more proficient in the sea. Um, so, and I've been meaning to do that. And a few years ago, I went back and did lessons in UCD. And then again, uh, um, life took over. So I, I like we go down to Dunmore East um, during the summer and uh, they have this lovely setup down there. It's like the, I don't know if you know Dunmore East, but uh, the little beach there, uh, it's sort of very sheltered and there's just out a bit from it, there's a rock and there's a rock either side of the bay. It could be a bay. And I think it's about 400 metres, maybe 500 metres. And yeah. I see people regularly leave one side and swim over and swim back. So they're doing a thousand metres there and it looks so effortless. And I would love to have the confidence to do that. So what I end up doing is I go out to a little cove uh, and uh, I spend 20 minutes there. I never go out of my depth and I swim back and forth, back and forth. And that's the the level I'm at. I'd love to be just a little bit more proficient because I I love being in the sea. Uh, I'd love to be a little bit more comfortable. What's yours? (laughs) Actually, I... I know that bay very well. The last open water swimming race when I was tra- training for Ironmans was in that bay. Yeah. It was a 4K race. It was, and it was, it was two laps. It was a kilometer straight out just where the water 
just when you got out of the bay and it was wavy, it was hurry. I never forget it. I saw, I never saw him. It was the first time I got a shock in in terms of talk about out of your depth. You finally realize how deep. Like, yes, how, yes, you know, yes. And I, I, and I, and I came. It was the best race I ever did because I was so scared. I was such a fright. <laughs> I pelted back in like the clappers, yeah, and I think yeah. I came like twelfth out of a couple of hundred. It was great. Uh, my own one. It's a funny one. It's uh, this year's been really interesting for me. It's been, uh, it's been a revelation in terms of uh, balance. I'm still working my 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 rear end off, but actually, it's a little more balanced than it was. So my rev, my my goal for the year, uh, re- fitness wise, I. We did two marathons during COVID, private myself and a friend of mine who run. Right. Um, this is interesting. You've now flipped the head and it's yeah, the, the yeah, yeah. In, interview. The, why don't you do Ray's Marathon Challenge? I think I'm going to sign up for that. That, that goes without no, a No, because it'd be brilliant. Yeah, no, no, I, would, I would do... No, but that'd be brilliant because then we can, we, can, we can dip into you, so to speak, along the way, you know. Yeah, um, yeah well, consider, you can consider me signed up for that anyway. Oh, that brilliant. goes without saying. And, oh, brilliant, uh, brilliant. Thank I've you. Lots, I've, I've lots, of other, lots of other tips are planned uh, too. So anyway, Wait, I, I interrupt you. You go on, go on. I interrupt you. You were about to say... No, you're grand. I'm trying to think what I was trying to say. Your, your resolution uh, or your target for 2021. Yeah, and I, from a target perspective, is just to keep balance going. It's been I've been at home for, for the first time in my life ever. I love to work. I'm a workaholic by trade. As a family, we're workaholics by trade. All we ever do really is work. And it's been lovely to be at home for the first time ever with my family, my wife, my son. And uh, more of that is on the cards for, yeah. for the new year. That's great. This is I've, I have to say, I've re- I was nervous about this one because it's always funny when you interview people who've interviewed you and who actually who interview for a living. It's a funny place to bring them onto a podcast and have a chat and just to see where it goes. But it's been absolutely, it's been it's great, great to touch up you properly. <laughs> and uh, it's been fascinating. We've learned so much about you, as I'm sure our listeners have too, which is brilliant. Right. So, that um, was enjoyable, very so enjoyable. Folks, folks, if you are thinking about raisemarathonchallenge.ie, we will put a swipe up link on my Instagram page. And in the supporting uh, text that comes with the podcast, we will put the links and the website address and everything in there. On behalf of myself, on Dara and Gab, and by the way, we're going to give a shout out to Gab before the year is over. He's done amazing over the course of the last couple of months. I'm going to embarrass him now. You've never met him, but he's in the background doing sounds on all of my podcasts. He's got fit. He's shaped up and he looks absolutely amazing. So Gav, fair play to you. From all the team here on Real Health, from Leia Healthcare and the Independent.ie, thank you so much for listening in. We have the goal, uh, myself, for the end of the year was to break 3 million in terms of total listens. We've done that. We're at about 3.2 million now. And uh, we've got lots more exciting stuff planned for the new year. So have a wonderful uh, New Year's Eve. Set some targets. You have a brilliant uh, target now in terms of Ray's Marathon Challenge.ie. Get on board, get signed up and get one of those lovely t-shirts that Ray modeled for us. On behalf of everyone from Real Health, have a wonderful New Year's Eve and we look forward to bringing you more real health next week. Have a great one. See you soon. Sloan. Leia Healthcare. Looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.